evidence and answers. We live in a digital world. Many of us bank online, shop online, even conduct our meetings online, and many worship online. The computer has become an indispensable part of our lives today. What are the implications of living in a digital world? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In today's broadcast, Pat and his guest, Dr. Derek Sherman, will discuss biblical principles for living in a digital world. Now with part one is our host, Pat. We live in a digital world. Many of us bank online, shop online, even conduct our meetings online, and many in God's house worship the Lord online. The computer, the iPhone, has become an indispensable part of our lives today. But what are the implications of living in a computerized digital world? What does the future look like, and how will that affect our faith in Christ? What does the Bible have to say about computer technology? Well, to help us address that issue is Dr. Derek Sherman. He is professor of computer science at Calvin University, and he is a researcher and speaker in the areas of faith and technology issues. And he's written a great book on this subject, Shaping a Digital World, Faith, Culture, and Computer Technology. Uh, Its publisher is InterVarsity Press. So, Derek, welcome to Evidence and Answers. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Well, Derek, let's begin, first of all. Give us a definition of technology. Yeah, so that's a good starting point because it sort of frames the discussion going forward. I also begin with my students too, talking about what is it that we're talking about when we talk about technology. And my instinct when I was younger and when I was in engineering school was to think of technology as sort of gadgets and devices and uh, you know technical artifacts. But I think a better definition looks at technology as an activity that we do. And so the the definition that I use in my book, Shaping a Digital World, is basically, you know, along the lines of technology being a cultural activity, a distinct cultural activity in which human beings exercise freedom and responsibility by forming and transforming the natural creation with the aid of tools and procedures. And, and that definition sort of dates back to another older book called Responsible Technology. But I see it as a human cultural activity. It's one in which we actually, you know, give shape to the creation. It's one in which we actually, it's something that we do. It isn't just limited to, you know, neutral artifacts that sort of uh, are often thought of when we talk about technology. So that's, that's where I start usually. Yeah. And technology is part of the image of God and part of that cultural mm. mandate, right? To use the resources mm-hmm. of the earth to benefit mankind and subdue the earth. Uh, talk about that a little bit. I mean, a lot of people don't see the connection between technology and the scriptures here. Yeah. So in the definition, we talk about it being a, an activity in which we exercise freedom and responsibility. And so that points back to exactly what you what you mentioned, Genesis 1 verse 28 is is sometimes referred to as the cultural mandate. It basically talks about how we as image bearers of God are called to to take his world and give it shape. You know, Genesis 2 talks about basically tending and keeping the garden, right? So there's this, you know, taking care of it and preserving aspects of it, but it's also working it and developing it and, and unfolding its potential. 
And I often talk to my students about technology as part of that. You know, oftentimes when we think about creation, we think that it's, you know, trees and birds yeah. and plants and, mm -hmm. and stars. But creation really is all of the things that God has ordained to be, all of the possibilities sort of inherent in creation. That includes well, all kinds of things, right? Music and other cultural sort of developments, but also technology. It's something that's there in creation waiting for us to uncover. And then, of course, we have freedom. God gives us freedom to choose how we do this, but we also have responsibility, right? We sort of live quorum deo before the face of God. And part of uh, what that means is that in our technical activities too, we need to seek responsible ways of shaping and unfolding them. So that's but that's briefly how I would sort of begin. Yes, and you state in the introduction of your book, I mean, you make a very important point. You state that technology is not neutral. Now, that mm -hmm. may be surprising to many of us. What do you mean by that, technology is not neutral? Because most people view technology as neutral. Yeah, no, that, exactly correct. And I thought that way for many years, too. As, a, as an engineer, I was trained in a large technical university, and we didn't really talk philosophically about technology. And so my inherent sort of instinct was that, well, it's, it's a neutral tool, right? It's what you do with it that counts. And it wasn't until later that I began to read and think a little bit more about this. And in particular, reaching back to some older writings by media ecologists, you know, folks like uh, Neil Postman and Marshall McLuhan and Jacques Lowell and stuff. I mean, these guys wrote 50, 60 years ago. But they were already making the point really strongly, I think, that, you know, media, you know, things like television, for instance, at the time, and technology more generally, that we shape our tools, but then our tools also shape us. And I think that's even more evident and more, uh, I think, becoming more clear as we see, you know, how things like social media and electronic communications and all of these sorts of things actually shape us and mold us in particular ways. An example that I often give to my students is the automobile, right? The automobile, you know, is designed to get us from point A to point B, but it's not neutral because the automobile dramatically reshapes our cityscapes, right? Our landscape, our neighborhoods. It's not just a way of getting from point A to point B, but right, the, the, the cities get defined by roads, right? And even our architecture, you know, one of the biggest, you know, features in the front of many homes in suburban America is, you know, a, a garage or a double car garage. It shapes where we work and where we worship now are separated by greater distances. You know, the whole city has been built around roads and streets to accommodate the automobile where we live, work, shop, and worship are, are, are more disconnected than they have been in the past. So the automobile, yes, is a way of getting from point A to point B, but it, it has so many profound impacts on our larger culture and our life. And technology kind of has that, has certain things built into it, certain values, certain biases that sort of nudge us in a particular way. Sometimes those are unexpected things. You know, it's not that engineers you know, are plotting to change uh, society necessarily behind the scenes, but perhaps in an unthoughtful way, technology is deployed or kind of like, you know, unleashing a new species into a into an environment, right? And just the impacts are sometimes unpredictable. And Neil Postman talked about technology as being something like a drop of red dye in a glass of water. So the way he put it is, you know, if you have a drop of red dye and you have a glass of water, 
and you put the two together, you don't have a drop of red dye and a glass of water anymore. What you have is a whole new substance and, um, and, and a whole new ecosystem. And technology is like that too. And so it's not neutral. And one of the implications for engineers and computer scientists is that if technology is not neutral, they have a responsibility when they're designing these artifacts to think about sort of the wider cultural, social, you know, justice implications even of some of the technologies that they're creating because uh, there'll always be these sort of ripple effects in the wider, in the wider society. So, so that, that's a brief way of introducing it, but I think it's an important starting point for Christians to kind of see the nature of technology. Yes, and, and you make important points in your book there that technology has positive benefits but it can also oh, yeah. has negative benefits as well. You said we shape yeah. our technology, but our technology can also end up shaping us and really having positive, mm-hmm. but also some kind of negative effects as well. And you say yeah. it's the responsibility of the computer scientist or the engineer to really think through those effects that it's going to have. Uh, explain that for us a little bit. I mean, and, and do engineers and scientists really think through the not only positive benefits, but the negative implications and the overall effect uh, introducing new technology will have? Yeah, no, that's a really, that's a really good question. So absolutely. Technology is kind of this thing that can amplify our ability to do good, uh, but also to do ill. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. it's sort of when properly directed, it can be a real blessing but there can also be lots of consequences for people and for the environment and for you know uh, larger cultural trends if if we aren't thinking about the implications of our tools if we think they're neutral for instance we can run into into some mm-hmm. of these issues one of the sort of helpful sort of uh, ideas that that I got from a book called Creation Regained uh, which is written by Al Walters uh, is this notion of discerning structure from directions. So people often ask me, you know, is technology good or bad? And I find that kind of a false dichotomy, sort of a, the wrong question, right? And it's like asking, is music good or bad or is cuisine good or bad? Well, you know, technology, like other cultural activities, are part of the, what we said, right, latent potential in creation, but they can be directed, right? So that's the structure of creation, which is a good potential, but then they can be directed in ways that are obedient to God or more obedient to God or less obedient to God. And that sort of directional aspect of technology, how it's directed is basically our, where we exercise freedom and responsibility. It's where technology is also not neutral because then we have to make choices, you know, not only about how we build something or what resources we decide to use, but, but also, you know, the the nature of the product itself, you know, and the kinds of behaviors and patterns and, you know, what you might call, you know, liturgies in our lives that it sort of encourages. And then, you know, that's where it has its shaping power. So, so engineers, I think, need to think more perhaps than they often have in the past about, you know, thinking beyond sort of the nuts and bolts, the bits and bites, you know, kind of zooming out and thinking more holistically about the implications of technologies. And I think that needs help from other people. I think engineers and computer scientists shouldn't be the ones alone who are deciding, you know, how we're going to shape technology that impacts everybody. You know, we need to pull people into the conversation, people from the social sciences, people from philosophy and theology, 
you know, different stakeholders. I mean, the conversation about shaping technology, certainly engineers have responsibility, but it's, it needs to be a wider dialogue as well. Yes, and, and in your book, you state that there are four approaches when dealing with technology. Mm-hmm. Explain to us those four approaches and what is the most biblical approach of those four. Yeah, so I think the, the, the four approaches that I outlined basically are sort of taken from four general approaches to culture that are found in a, in a pretty famous book called Christ and Culture by Richard Niebuhr. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and in that book, he suggests, you know, several different postures or approaches that Christians can have and which Christians have had throughout history. And you can summarize these four approaches which are basically meant to kind of map the landscape. There are, there are lots of nuanced ways that Christians engage these things, but, but these four broad approaches can be summarized as, you know, rejection of technology. It's one approach where we just kind of dismiss technology out of hand, and examples of that might be like certain Amish communities who decide they're just not going to adopt certain technologies. Another approach might be indifference to technology, where you just don't really see technology as having anything to do with faith. It's a completely different sphere, and that faith and technology do not really intersect, and so, um, and so you don't really engage it very thoughtfully. A third approach might be embracing technology, where we, we basically adopt all new technologies without thinking about their implications or the ways in which they're you know, not neutral, if you want to put it that way and sort of unthinkingly sort of use technologies. And then the, the fourth approach, which, which is the one that, that I advocate in, uh, in shaping a digital world, is, is cultivating responsible technology. That's a nice way to summarize it, but it, it takes a lot of work to think carefully about both of the possibilities uh, for flourishing that can come with technology and, and the possibilities that, that you can uh, unfold as engineers and computer scientists, but then also being very careful about thinking about how to deploy that in an obedient and, and responsible way. That uh, approach uh, acknowledges the sort of fallenness, the sort of, you know, the, the possibilities for, for sinful distortions, but yet, you know, points towards, you know, what, what we need to strive for, which is a responsible, obedient sort of uh, approach to to developing technology. So, so those are the four sort of different approaches in sort of broad strokes. Yeah, and I think most people would take number two or three. Mm. Uh, the technology is there and we just use it. We don't ask why or how to use it responsibly. It's just kind of there and we don't think through yeah. the proper use of technology. So that's a really important point I think you make there because, mm. you know, I think the attitude you know, when it comes to technology, whether it's computer technology, medical technology, genetic engineering, you know, I right. think you mentioned in your book, just because we can, should we? Mm-hmm. And I think that's an important question. Yeah. And I think that's where you're saying, you know, biblical guidelines need to come in here. Um, just because yeah. we can do cloning, should we do it? You know, Jurassic Park, yeah, yeah that whole thing. Just because <laughs> we can yeah. do this with computers, we can monitor everybody's buying pattern, should we? So speak on that a little bit. I mean, what are those guidelines here and how does the Bible play a role in all this? That's a really good question. And that's that's been something that has kind of been developing in, in my own thinking over, over the, the number of years. And uh, especially as I began teaching at a Christian college, my job became to help 
direct young engineers and computer scientists to think about what it means to be faithful to God in their chosen vocation. And so I needed to learn how to articulate that. But I, I worked as an engineer for yeah about nine years in industry before I went back to teaching. And when I was in industry, I distinctly remember, you know, and I mentioned this in the forward of the book, you know, sitting in a cubicle farm and kind of wondering, you know, what does my faith have to do with, with my work as an engineer? How, what do bites have to do with beliefs? And so, yeah, over time, I, I think I, I began to see how the biblical story can sort of frame that question a lot more helpfully. Like w- one of the quotes that I find really helpful is a philosopher named Alistair McIntyre, who said basically, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, we can't really decide what we ought to do until we first determine of what story am I a part, right? And, and it's sort of that wider idea about what story are we a part of sort of frames sort of all the big questions, right? Like who are we and, you know, what's wrong with the world and what's the remedy and, you know, what is our, what does it mean to be human? These sort of big, big story, big, big questions are, are sort of answered by this, this larger story. And I think the Bible kind of out narrates most other stories. I think it has a really good, plausible way of looking at the world and why it is what it is and, and provides helpful guidance. And so one of the temptations we have to avoid is sort of proof texting, right? Like looking for picking out little individual verses that might tell us how to program a computer or design a, a you know, do engineering work. Uh, instead to sort of zoom out and think about, you know, what, what is the overall biblical story and, and what are the implications of that? And if one looks at the biblical story and looks at the great sweep of the biblical narrative from Genesis to Revelation, you know, there's these basic themes like creation, fall, redemption, right, and new creation. And, and, and these sort of big biblical themes have implications for technology as well. So creation, we've already talked about a bit, right? The cultural mandate, understanding already at the beginning, God gave us this responsibility to unfold his the possibilities in his world, right? How we're created in the image of God, which right away distinguishes people from machines, right? We, we see some of these sort of ideas sort of set up right away in the first few chapters of, of Genesis. Then, of course, somewhere near the beginning, the human family fell into sin, and that has it had implications for all our cultural activities, for all areas of life, right? You know, Romans 8 talks about how the entire creation is groaning, and that includes, you know, our technology and our, our tools. And so I think, you know, this, the story of sin sort of gives us an idea about why things are the way they are and sort of identifies consequences for, you know, unfolding things in ways that are disobedient. And, and then, of course, you know, in the fullness of time, we have Jesus Christ who came uh, to redeem the world. And, and when I think about redemption, I think it's helpful to think about personal salvation. You know, it's, it certainly is about me and Jesus and a personal salvation, but also this cosmic sort of redemptive work by Jesus Christ. I think in, you know, chapters like Colossians 1, right, we read about that all things were made through him and for him, but that all things are being reconciled, you know, through him. And this sort of broad sort of idea of all things being redeemed that through Jesus Christ, he just doesn't want our souls, but he wants, he's thinking cosmically about redeeming his whole creation. And then how we're called, right? I think it's Second Corinthians 5, we're called to be agents of reconciliation, right? And that includes in all areas of human activity, including including technology. 
And then, of course, the, the Bible ends with the new heavens and the new earth, which is, it's a city, right? So the, the movement of the biblical story is from this garden to a city, a city which involves, you know, a certain amount of cultural development. And and there's even a little hint, you know, in verses like uh, Revelations 21 has this curious verse about how the honor and glory of the nations will be brought into the new heavens and the new earth. And I like to think that that includes you know, some of our techno technical artifacts, albeit, you know, purified by you know, from sin and cleansed and all this. But that entire sweep of the biblical story kind of puts technology within that story and gives you a context for thinking about responsible use and, and in your work also as an engineer. So so I found that very helpful as sort of a starting place for thinking about the scripture and uh, and technology. Yes. And one of the things you, you know, point out in your book is that and part of the biblical worldview is that due to the fall of man, sinful mm-hmm. men can and often misuse technology. Yeah. Yeah. Chemical pesticides are, are great in eliminating malaria carrying mosquitoes, but can yeah. also, you know, be used to exterminate entire villages and races. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, tell us about that. About I mean, the technology is, is a great and wonderful thing, but it's also a very powerful thing, and it can be used in very uh, good, but also very dangerous ways. Yeah. So, I mean, when technology is driven by greed or, you know, when, when we aren't following the call to love our neighbor, I mean, it can be a, a big source of injustice, you know, especially nowadays when a lot of more things are being decided by algorithms, right? You know, mm-hmm. the question is, yeah. are we creating... Uh, systems, especially automated systems that are treating people fairly. And yeah, like you say, you know, objects that actually are objects for creating harm directly. And so I think one of the things that we have to realize is that our sinful nature perverts and distorts things in ways that usually come with consequences to us and to our environment and, and to our neighbor. And technology, of course, can allow us to do that and can amplify our abilities for doing harm to our neighbor and to the to the wider creation. And so yeah, that's where we have to exercise this responsibility. That's where, where God calls us to sort of act responsibly, to think about using technology to for human and environmental flourishing, you know, to, to think about ways to use technology in ways that show love to our neighbor. So, yeah, the the ways that technology can cause harm are plentiful, that's for sure. You talk in your book about technism, faith in technology to solve all our problems. Tell us about that, and what are the dangers and implications of technism? So the fall not only has distorted sort of our technologies and the shape that they take, but it's also distorted our hearts, right? And so... um, I think it's John Calvin who once said that the human heart is a perpetual factory of idols, you know, and, and one of the idols of our age, I would suggest, I mean, there there are more, but one of the idols is technology. We look to technology to, you know, sort of, you know, solve all of our problems. We look to technology to bring about an end to all of the problems that we have. And, and we, we see it as sort of a, well, we treat it like an idol. We look to technology Instead of to God, and and that's the temptation, and so you know that has to do with the human heart and and how we, you know, where we place our faith, you know, what what shape that takes, 
And so, yeah, technicism, I would say, is, is one of the idols of our age. You know, some related uh, idols are things like informationism, sort of just seeing information as the route to social progress. You know, there's a more recently, dataism is another temptation to see everything as nothing but data. It's sort of a very reductionistic way of, of sort of looking at the world, that everything is just data, there's, there, there's nothing else. It's, it's a very flat way of looking at God's creation. But technicism is that faith and belief in technology is savior of humanity. And, you know, that someday we will usher in the new heavens and the new earth by our own powers, you know, that through technology we'll create a heaven on earth. It's sort of this, some people will go so far as to say we could usher in utopia uh, ourselves. There even are people who would suggest that we can solve the problem of death. Now, wrongly, in my opinion, I think they're misguided. But there are people who, who actually believe that one day we'll be able to download our brains into a computer and live forever. Our time for today has come to a close. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Would you or your church be interested in having Pat speak or host an apologetics conference? Just give him a call. In Hawaii, that number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. And while you're there on our website, take a look around. We have a wide variety of different topics that will make for an incredible conference series. Use our search engine for available resources. We have everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio free to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. To keep quality broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous financial support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to partner with us, you can find a link to donate on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Evidence and Answers would like to thank one of our sponsors, the Honolulu Christian Church. If you don't have a home church and are looking for a great place to connect and grow in Christ, check out the Honolulu Christian Church. For service times, log on at honoluluchristian.org. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. Oh, 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 o